This is L'Inconnu Conversations, and I'm your host, Leila Gresh, founder and director of L'Inconnu Art Gallery. In this period of quarantine, where we are all physically isolated from our communities, we connect in a digital sphere as a means to remain interconnected. I opened up the podcast to informal conversations with friends of the gallery, artists, curators, dealers, collectors, etc., members of the community, you could say, to express and share between each other and also extend it out to our audience as to what is happening right now and, and what has happened and to include the rest of you in the conversation. So put in your headphones, go for a walk, blast it, do what you got to do and enjoy. Okay, so today I'm with Tamor Grane. And Tamor, do you want to start by telling us where you are and a bit of your background? Of course. So I am in London and I am in my apartment. And I have been in London for three years now. So I moved back in 2017. Yeah. And a bit of my, my background, I am an art advisor. Uh, and prior to starting to focus on art advising, I had a gallery in New York that I founded from 2013 to 2017. And then in 2017, decided to focus on art advisory. And yeah, this is kind of where I am now. And most of the artists that collectors I work with and I are focusing on, are, it's mainly emerging, mature and underrepresented. So blue chip really isn't my thing. It's really like artists of, you know, our generation, a lot of collectors I work with are younger too. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of, it's going away from the blue chip and looking at what else there is out there. And can you talk a bit more about that transition from dealer to advisor? Because yes. I know some gallerists might be slightly envious of cutting those overhead costs, but yet maintaining, you know, helping people to acquire work and put it within collections. And so that doesn't stop you. And then also how you still do biannual exhibitions as well as a means yeah. of So if you want to go into that. Yeah. So basically, you know, I come to the advisory from perspective of a gallerist previously. I, I loved being a gallerist when I was a gallerist. I really enjoyed working closely with the artists, with building a program, with putting on exhibitions, with the relationships I had with artists, being a gathering point for the community, you know, all the reasons why everybody loves having a gallery. But I also noticed at a certain point, having a space in New York, dealing with rent and dealing with art fairs and dealing with, you know, all the costs that you know a lot about. Mm -hmm. For me, it it was so focused on, so much of it became focused on, you know, sales driven, which I've always been sales driven, but I didn't open a gallery just to be sales driven. And I found that we had to be super sales focused just because that was, you know, it's New York and a gallery are not cheap Mm -hmm. to run. And I also found myself slowly advising a lot of clients who were buying from the gallery in terms of what else should we buy. I Mm -hmm. got to meet a whole bunch of younger collectors that were entering the art world. I've taken to galleries. And so I kind of gradually also morphed into being an advisor while I had the gallery. But I also knew it's very difficult and ultimately doesn't work to do both at the same time. So I decided to focus on the advisory Mm -hmm. and made the decision in 2016. The advice has been great uh, so far. It's been a really nice three years. And for me, you know, you mentioned the exhibitions. 
I do have this itch to still work with artists on collaborative projects and do exhibitions. So, you know, when I closed the gallery, I still wanted to continue doing exhibitions and putting on shows and working with artists on putting on shows. So I do two or three pop-ups in London because I'm based here a year. And that fulfills that itch to put on a show mm -hmm. and that itch to work with an artist of interest. So I kind of get the best of putting on an exhibition, but then it's kind of nice at the end of the day, after the show's over, the show's over two weeks, to hand the key back to the landlord mm -hmm. and be like, I'm done, no space, I'm free again. But I also, it's given me an interesting perspective. For me, when I work with clients, mm -hmm. you know, because I came from the gallery background, I really got a good sense of who are the advisors that were professional, that I as a gallery back then liked working with, yeah. and who were the ones that weren't. Mm -hmm. And that kind of guided me into being the advisor I wanted to be today. Mm -hmm. For example, you know, I'm sure you've seen it. You know, I saw it at my gallery. A lot of advisors would come in and the commission structure would be completely oblivious. No one would know who's getting a commission, who's giving a discount to who, and mm -hmm. this lack of clarity, I didn't enjoy that at all, whereas mm -hmm. some advisors would come in and were super clear. So with me, it told me a lot, like how I work today, for example, the client pays me mm -hmm. separately, and then the client pays the gallery directly for the work. Any discount is passed directly onto the client. Mm -hmm. And then I take a commission on the final discounted price of the work paid for by the client. So everything is clear. Yeah. And I also, I understand how difficult it is to run a gallery. So I also see my role as, you know, I like emerging artists. It's my interest, but it's also yeah. fun for me to support and bring new collectors to help a lot of these young galleries in New York and London and other cities because it's tough. And when you do the shows, do you take 50-50 split with the artists in terms of the sale? Or, yeah. yeah, so when I do the, yeah, when I do the exhibitions, mm -hmm. um, I do 50-50 split and the cost structure is similar to a gallery. I pay for the rent of the space, I pay yeah. for the shipments of the work, the, the dinner, you know, all yeah. that. Um, and so therefore it's a 50-50 split. Yeah. I kind of have clients that just buy from the exhibitions that are not advisory clients. And then I have clients that are just advisory clients. And then sometimes if an advisory client wants to buy from one of the exhibitions, for example, yeah. then I obviously don't take a commission for that. I just, you know, it's the exhibition price. So it's quite clear on that front too. Okay, cool. And what about the locations of these shows? Because you were mentioning like Cromwell Place and then you did one in Notting Hill, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. So I... I have mostly used uh, a website called Appear Here, okay. which is in New York too, which it's a bit like the Expedia of pop-up spaces. Yeah. You kind of put all your variables, your price point, your location, your date, and they kind of come up with a broad range of spaces. And for me, London is where I live and it's just easier logistically to have the shows here. Mm -hmm. In terms of spaces, they're kind of all over the next show that was planned, but now that was postponed. It's happening in Fitzrovia, for example. Mm -hmm. And I made a deal with the space there to have the next three pop-up shows happen then. Yeah. So they're kind of all over, but mainly based in London. And in Fitzrovia, is it close to the other galleries that are in the neighborhood? Yeah. yeah. So the space that I'm renting is quite close to Josh Lilly's gallery. Okay. And... There's quite a lot of galleries in the general vicinity. And I think Ida Asante is not so far. Yeah. Maximilian William. There's quite a lot of galleries within that general vicinity. Um, so it's very central, which is important for London because London is very neighborhood driven. Yeah. New York, you know, collectors have come from the Upper East Side. They've crossed, you know, to Chelsea, to the Lower East Side. People are more fluid. Yeah. 
London is very neighborhood centric. So being central is quite important. Mm -hmm. I did a pop up in Notting Hill and that was hard for people in the East End to come to. It's a bit of a distance. Yeah. London is extremely wide. Yeah. So it's a big city to get across. So yeah, so that's why Fitzrovia is also a good choice. And so the show that you were going to have in Fitzrovia, is that the one that's online now? No. Yeah. <laughs> so that's separate. So the show I was going to do in Fitzrovia was a dual space. The ground floor was going to be Nikki Najumi, who's an artist that I used to represent when I had the gallery in New York. Yeah. And downstairs is a space is, you know, Upper North. Or was a, I was going to do a solo with Kara Nahul. I wasn't even thinking about online shows before coronavirus and all the problems and destruction that left in its wake. But I'm friends with a lot of artists and I realized so many shows, as you know, were postponed and canceled. And, yeah. you know, artists need to still sell. I realized I do have a lot of people that are following these pop-up exhibitions and we're buying from them. And I do think that more needs to be done online mm -hmm. and more will happen online. And, you know, who knows when this is going to be over, but it's a way to keep content flowing. It's a way to keep sales happening for these artists and it's a way to kind of keeping them present. So sometimes like Matthew Fisher, I've, I've had a relationship with for a long time as his gallerist when I had the gallery in New York. And mm -hmm. um, so for example, that I do directly with him. But I'm also doing a show with Radha Mastruni, who's an amazing artist who works with Stefan Benchoan, who has the gallery Proyectos Atra Violeta. Okay. And that would be consigned through him. So he would get a commission from the sales and then as would the artist and as would I. So it's also a way to support the galleries. Yeah. So I'm doing a show with an artist called Craig Kuchia via The Pit LA. So... Sometimes it's directly to the artist, sometimes it's to the galleries, but it's more of this collaborative approach to, and it's not a physical show. Yeah. So it's, a lot of the times it's smaller work, so it's easier to produce. So you're very much so, yeah. a hybrid. So that, very much hybrid. Yeah. I mean, I call myself an advisor because that is the main hat. Yeah, um, And that's what the majority of my time goes into. And I have Josh who helps me out with everything. Mm -hmm. He works with me and he... He's a big part of, you know, what we do and he helps with organizing the exhibitions and deals a lot with the back end of all of that and adding the works onto websites. And so it's easy for me to focus on the advisory when I also have someone working for me. Great. And you've kind of alluded to, but how do you feel the impact of COVID-19 will have on the art world at large and, and the gallery system? Anything you so want to So it's interesting. So <laughs> on the advisory side, yeah. I work with eight clients full time. Mm -hmm. And full-time meaning they're quite active. Some are more active than others and some, it ebbs and flows. Some will be super active for five months and take a bit of a break. You know, four of the eight are super active all the time. And most of my time is with them and, you know, in discussions with them, introducing them to new artists, talking about the work, uh, previewing what's coming up and, you know, everything that entails the advisory. We bought a lot the past four weeks. Yeah. But with each client, we have priority lists. Yeah. And, you know, we have like, they're super interested in acquiring. Some artists are obviously harder to get. Yeah. Some artists have longer wait lists. Some artists have no wait lists. So we've decided to focus on some of the ones that were harder to get at this point because waiting lists are... Shortening. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, our, but so we're still acquiring work. Mm -hmm probably at the same level as before. But then again, most of the work we're buying is on the emerging end. I think in a weird way, it's going to be really tough on galleries, yeah. but I think it's going to be tougher 
everything is tougher on the emerging galleries than the blue chip galleries. But I think this crisis is going to be bad for everybody. Yeah. But because emerging galleries are dealing with lower mm-hmm. price point works, a lot of collectors that were spending big amounts of money on blue chip artists, mm-hmm. but still have the itch and bug of collecting, yeah. are not comfortable, you know, spending five, six hundred thousand dollars on blue chip artists and would rather spend, I don't know, for them, 10, 15, 20,000, 10,000 dollars on an emerging artist. So I've seen some collectors focus more on emerging now yeah. while the crisis lasts. But, you know, the art world is going to be affected quite badly. I think um, younger galleries are more nimble and will be maybe better able to weather the storm long term. They don't have massive sales, but yeah. they, they don't have, you know, huge numbers of staff. Yeah. I think if they can think creatively, you know, maybe it's also going to be a time for people to rethink the fair structure and how many exhibitions they do. And I think the emerging gallery model wasn't sustainable for a lot of people. Yeah. And it was very tilted toward the top end. And I think this needs to force everybody to rethink the model a bit. And so you're um, encouraging right now of younger galleries to do online shows and that it isn't a fear of bothering, quote unquote, people with too many emails right now or more reactionary. You think it is responsive. I think it should be responsive and fundamentally they have no choice because if there's no content and if there's no work to sell and also online shows do create content and energy and, you know, instead of just having inventory for sale, it creates a bit of a story. And I think people are more excited to maybe buy from an exhibition yeah. than just, Something you know, inventory for sale. Yeah. 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 So I think emerging guys should definitely continue. You know, they have to survive too. Yeah. And I understand, you know, some people are extremely affected and don't want to buy, but I'm sure they'll let a lot of the galleries know, like, hey, stop contacting us. We're not <laughs> buying it at this point. But I don't think galleries should stop because it's going to be a few months and artists and galleries need to also try and get by. And in terms of um, the quantity of shows a year, would you say that it would be better to do more shows or less shows more focused? During the crisis? Or, or just general? after when things start to... after. Reopen. That's a good question. Um, I think in general, five week, five to six week shows are a good number. I think yeah. people, you know, I think fairs are super important, but I think fairs will galleries reduce, should do exhibitions fair. will increase, kind of thing. Yeah, you know, I had a gallery, so I understand yeah. like to add the cost of the fair on top. Yeah, and it becomes a rat race. You need to do it as a good emerging gallery because your peers are doing it yeah. and then the artists you represent will say you didn't do this fair but you know these five galleries did yeah so if people collectively start being more selective with fairs i think that'll really help emerging galleries survive long term fairs are great for so many reasons yeah. but i just don't think galleries need to do as many anymore especially maybe people don't agree with me when i say this but i think instagram and having a good online presence yeah especially how it's moved over the past five years is super important because it democratizes the playing field a bit. Like everybody can have an Instagram account. It's free. You know, fairs are great for awareness. Historically, we're great for awareness to discover galleries Mm -hmm. and they will always play that role. But I think Instagram and having a good website and online presence is also a good way to discover galleries. Yeah. And I've been asking this question to everyone. What is your quarantine routine? (laughs) My quarantine routine. Yeah. So I've had I've had two routines. So I've always been the type that I work, even if it's Saturday or Sunday. Yeah. 
I always work, even if it's just two hours of emails, it's just my way of just, you know, being at peace and knowing that things (laughs) are taken care of. So I pretty much have the same routine in terms of work hours, except I don't know why I'm in this weird insomnia mode where I sleep at four and wake up at 11. So my day has completely shifted. So I work till around one a.m. and then watch TV, relax, whatever. And then my day starts really late. So I'm kind of permanently jet lagged for no reason. Okay, that's interesting. (laughs) I still, it's the same amount. I'm just, you know, instead of going out Mm -hmm. and, you know, meeting up with people, I'm watching Netflix much more than I used to. I've never been a TV person or a TV show person per se. Yeah. Um, So wake up at 11, make brunch at that point. And this is Um, 11 p.m. or a.m.? No, wake up at 11 a.m. Okay. Like, timing is not that crazy. Wake up at it. I mean, it's only been the past two weeks. Before it was like normal time, but yeah. I'm in this weird insomnia zone. So wake up at 11, make brunch, and just work until around 9. Uh-huh. And then make dinner, relax a bit, do a bit more work. And I spend a lot more time FaceTiming people than I used to. Yeah. So yeah, nothing. Work is still the same, work hours, and you know I still need to eat, so that's the same. Yeah. It's just, I guess what's changed instead of all the outings and time lost in transportation, I'm watching more Netflix, I guess, and spending <laughs> more time cooking. Yeah. Have you been doing any uh, exercise or meditation indoors? Or <laughs> So, yes, I try. So, I, I try. Um, I bought uh, like some small weights and a yoga mat, so I try <laughs> And it's very hard to stay focused, though, but I try. I do try. That's good. Um, Also, when, you know, in the beginning, when it started hitting really bad, and, you know, nobody knew how long we would stay, I think that's when everybody went online and started ordering yoga mats. And, you know, people were just freaking out about the thought of maybe not even going outside. Yeah. So that was one of the first things I did. And have they announced Uh, yet when uh, London is starting to reopen? When are they announcing? Yeah. Or have they announced anything? They haven't, but apparently this coming week, they're going to announce the first steps. So this next week, next week will be like a big week where they will start giving more info on dates, what phase one post-lockdown will look like. I think there's like five phases. Okay. Um, so yeah, we'll slowly begin to unwind starting in a couple of weeks. Okay, that's good. Yeah, it's kind of, it's been a crazy few weeks, but uh, I've learned how to cook as corny as that sounds. And as everybody's saying, like I, I was someone that never cooked ever yeah, yeah like i couldn't even fry an egg so it was that's been great when you're kind of forced to do stuff to pick up a couple of interesting habits but yeah you'll take that into your post-quarantine life yeah, yeah. no i enjoy <laughs> cooking maybe not every day but yeah. um but no i it's great because i needed to know how to cook and uh it's good i've been very creative with recipes and stuff so i definitely want to take that into post-corona <laughs> okay. uh, a post-corona world but yeah, no, I'm excited just to, you know, I think, interestingly, galleries will be the only source of culture, you know, quote unquote, culture left in comparison to, you know, there's no sports games, there's no mm-hmm. cinemas, mm-hmm. there's no everything with crowd, yeah. you know, no uh, musicals, no theaters, no concerts. So I think galleries will actually, once they do reopen, you know, galleries and museums will get a lot of more foot traffic yeah. because it's one of the few things that, you know, it's Manageable. not packed. Yeah. yeah. So I think that'll be cool. Like, you know, galleries will finally get more foot traffic. Yeah, um, that's an interesting this. insight. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, thank you. So thank you, Tamar. Of course. <laughs> of course, of course. And uh, yeah, we'll put a link to your exhibition in the show notes. Amazing. So, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. And I'm excited to see all your other um, podcasts too. Yeah, yeah. So let me know when you release everybody to the public. Will do. <laughs> Perfect. Thanks, thank Leila. You.